Hello and welcome to DIY TDCS, where we explore what's happening in the fascinating world of transcranial direct current stimulation. My name is John Humphrey, and this is podcast episode number four. My guest today is Michael Weissend, Ph.D. Dr. Weissend is a principal investigator at the Mind Research Network and assistant professor of translational neuroscience at the University of New Mexico, Albuquerque. I spoke to him February 26, 2013. Today is February 26, 2013. I'm speaking with Michael Weissen, PhD. Dr. Weissen is a principal investigator at the Mind Research Network and assistant professor of translational neuroscience at the University of New Mexico, Albuquerque. First of all, what is, what is translational neuroscience? Uh, the idea of translational neuroscience is that you do not simply um, study things in the laboratory for the sake of gaining additional knowledge, but that you add to that, uh, those investigations, a component that directly relates your work to some existing population, be it healthy individuals or be it uh, somebody with a disease. Can you give me an example? Uh, yes. So, for example... Many of the studies that we do at MIND originally focused on schizophrenia. So uh, a big issue with uh, psychoses, including schizophrenia, is that sometimes they are poorly diagnosed or misdiagnosed early on uh, in treatment. So at MIND, one of the things we did was we used the combination of magnetoencephalography and magnetic resonance imaging to develop a mathematical algorithm that not only characterized the uh, abnormalities in the brains of people with psychoses, especially young people, but also uh, put that data through a mathematical algorithm to aid physicians in diagnosing different kinds of psychoses. So, for example, you might have bipolar disorder uh, compared to schizophrenia. I see. I also saw somewhere where you have a strong background in epilepsy and brain imaging. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about how you came to neuroscience? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty simple story. I, After I graduated college, I went to Heidelberg College in Ohio, or it's now called Heidelberg University. But uh, I double majored in biology and psychology, and I minored in communications. And after... Uh, that intense program of study, I was pretty sick of school, so I went to Philadelphia and I started working for a couple years. And I worked in a unit, a psychiatric unit, for people who also had head injuries. So everybody was duly diagnosed with first a psychiatric disorder and then a head injury on top of that to compound uh, their existing issues. And after working there for about a year and a half, I decided that if there was any good work to be done, it was going to be in the, on the research side, because the clinical side at that point was really managing symptoms, hmm. not dealing with the core issues. So I uh, came out to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I started, I went to graduate school with uh, two fine professors 
Dennis Feeney and Rob Sutherland, both of which had interest in epilepsy. And so after I graduated with my PhD, I went to the VA hospital and started working with veterans who had epilepsy as a result of either something uh, abnormal in their brains that existed prior to uh, being deployed or got injured during deployment. And we would use those results to guide, to aid in the guidance of uh, neurosurgery to try to cure, cure their epilepsy. Hmm. Epilepsy can be the result of a traumatic brain injury? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, there's, that's one of the chief causes of epilepsy that it doesn't onset during childhood. If you get adult onset epilepsy, it's very likely to come from some sort of traumatic event, be it anoxia or uh, traumatic brain injury or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then how do you end up at uh, MIND or the MIND Research Network? Uh, so MIND bought a machine called magnetoencephalography that was like the machine that I had at the VA. And so MIND recruited me to come there uh, and run that machine in 2005. Oh, I see. And the MIND Research Network is a nonprofit primarily funded by grants. Is that correct? That's correct. So Mind Research Network is a 501c3 corporation, a nonprofit, and our portfolio is something along the uh, lines of 80% NIH funded, and National Institute of Health funded, and then about uh, the rest is made up with uh, contracts either with the military or with um, private corporations. And how many scientists are uh, research scientists are you there? Uh, there's 18 principal investigators uh, at Mind, and about uh, 150 support staff. All right, let's roll over to into some uh, TDCS now. It was the new scientist article by Sally Adi that introduced me to TDCS. Uh, specifically, it was a reference to you and your study where learning time was cut in half using TDCS that was so intriguing. Can you give us a little synopsis of that study and what was discovered? Yeah, so we went to a meeting uh, with some military types a while back, and I'm super passionate about the military. I have a cousin who was in the Special Forces and who was injured pretty uh, dramatically. I have a sister who's career military uh, and she's 100% disabled as a result of her service. Uh, and I worked at the VA hospital and saw the psychological problems that can come out of military service. So I'm really pretty passionate about helping that population using the neuroscientific tools I've been trained on. So I went to a meeting and we were talking about training soldiers and this uh, little gray-haired fella, who was probably five foot nothing, comes up and stands next to me and he says, you know what? He's watching the speaker and he says, you know what? He says, this looks like the same old BS. And I kind of took it back and I said, well, sir. And he said, uh, at the time I had long hair all the way down to my uh, rear end, but I was in, you know, dressed up a little bit. And he says, you look like a fella who won't give me the same answer. 
And so I engaged in conversation with him. It happened to be Admiral Cole Morgan, retired Admiral Cole Morgan, who's a legend in the in the Navy. And through a bunch of conversations, we got connected with some people from DARPA, the Defense Advanced Projects Research Agency, and uh, started some TDCS experiments to try to enhance training. And a huge fraction of the military budget is actually spent on training. And a huge number of the failures are people that don't carry out their training. And those failures are terrible. They can uh, result in the loss of our people's lives, and they can also result in the loss of people's lives who uh, were non-combatants. And so that's uh, something that we have to work to uh, get better at. Mm -hmm. uh, and beyond that, uh, people come back injured, and we need to help those people when they come back and take responsibility for them uh, when they've been out defending our country. Uh, so anyway, having said all that, what we did was we attacked training in two contexts. First context is if you go overseas as part of a military deployment, the time that you're most likely to get injured is very early after you are deployed. Mm. And the reason that you get injured early after your, your deployment is that you don't know the rules yet, right? Mm. And people tell you what they are, but if you are uh, like lots of people, your mom tells you the burner on the stove is hot and you say, no, -uh, and you touch the burner and you burn your finger. Right. And there's no different for our military folks is somebody tells them that that's dangerous and they say, I can handle it. And they get hurt because they're not looking out for the right stuff. Mm. So we, uh, used a game, a first person shooter type game called Dar Wars NK to take scenes that were drawn from realistic military situations. And we had students from the university classify images as containing a threat or not containing a threat. And when we applied TDCS, they learned twice as fast to identify images that had threats. In a second context, what we did was we went to Goodfellow Air Force Base, where they do the majority of training for image analysts. And we talked to their people about what is your most difficult subject. And the most difficult uh, block of training they identified was synthetic aperture radar ground targets, or the toughest things for people to learn. So... Uh, we worked with Sandia National Labs to get real SAR images of real SAR targets and uh, trained people to identify target vehicles in SAR images or trained to discriminate uh, friendly vehicles from target vehicles in real SAR images. And we accelerated their training by a factor of two. We then transferred that to the Air Force, and the Air Force ran it on a, a bunch of their personnel completely independent of us and uh, just using our technique. And they confirmed that you can accelerate training by a factor of two. So uh, we're fairly excited about the technology. The strategy that we employed is fairly unique, and so that's important to note. Mm -hmm. 
instead of using a textbook to guide the placement of our electrodes, we used brain images in subjects to guide the placement of our electrodes. Okay, so garden variety TDCS, what somebody does is they say, I want to facilitate working memory or I want to enhance reaction time. And so in the case of working memory, they may place the electrode over the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is thought to be uh, the place that holds uh, learning and memory. Uh, I'm sorry, that's... Working memory, yeah. That's right. They place the electrodes over the prefrontal cortex. That's left prefrontal cortex? Could be left or right, depending on the topic material. But it's frequently left because verbal material is very important. So they place the electrode over the left prefrontal cortex in order to uh, facilitate working memory for linguistic information or information that's fed to them linguistically. The other way you might do it is if you want to... enhance reaction time, you would place the electrodes over the motor cortex and uh, stimulate there to see if you can enhance uh, reaction time. But what we did was different because if you're doing a task like identifying threats in a complicated image or either in the Dar Wars at K game or the um, in real SAR imagery, where does that happen in the brain? Well, it happens all over in the brain. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was imaged the brains of people who were novices, and then we took those same people, trained them until they were performing at expert level, and we imaged their brains again. Mm-hmm. And what we looked for were pieces of brain that, or networks in the brain that increased their activity from the time the person was a novice to the time the person was an expert. And then we placed our electrodes uh, after using finite element modeling of the head to maximally stimulate those areas. And when we did that, we have had some pretty, I mean, just really nice results. And well, the, the, the results that you describe are the result of using the fMRI to help target electrode placement? Uh, yes, we've used either fMRI or uh, magnetoencephalography to, uh, and both work equally well in tar- and aiding you in the targeting of TDCS. So it's a snapshot before w- with a novice, yep, and then uh, then the training, and then another snapshot. That's right. I see, and that helped inform where to put the electrodes. And where did you end up putting the electrodes? We ended up putting those electrodes at a location called F10 in the International 1010 EEG system, which is near the right temple. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's anodal? Uh, anodal? Yes, we uh, stimulated with anodal, and we, can, we also stimulated with cathodal. Anodal facilitates learning, and cathodal retards learning when placed in the same location. And the cathode was on the shoulder? Uh, That's right. We used an extra cephalic return electrode because we didn't want the complicating effects of having part of the brain inhibited by the cathode while a different part of the brain was excited by the anode. 
what's the the dosage? Uh, what we used was two milliamps for thirty minutes. People were being trained while the the electrodes were active. I think they call that online. Uh, well, I, I haven't called it online. I don't know, but <laughs> well, that's it. No, actually, just something I read in a paper the other day. It seems to be sticking. It's is if they're training while the the TDCS is active, yeah. they were calling it online and. And otherwise, if the TDCS is prior to, they were calling it offline. Got it. So how would you describe in like a single sentence uh, what this particular protocol facilitates? I would say neuroimaging guided TDCS facilitates the acquisition of information when the appropriate brain network is stimulated. This specific F10 anodal shoulder cathodal protocol. What is uh, that facilitating exactly? My hypothesis is that what we're, the stimulation at F10 uh, facilitates uh, synaptic plasticity as a result of the training in the right temporal and inferior frontal lobes. This is specifically for the purpose of increasing one's ability to uh, detect targets. In this case, yes. What kind of learning or what kind of memory or skill is detecting targets? Uh, what we call that is visual search and identification. Oh, I see. That resulted in is the paper called TDCS guided using fMRI significantly accelerates learning to identify concealed objects. Yeah, that's Clark 2012, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then what happened? Uh, so we, we've done all kinds of stuff since then. But uh, one of the things that we've done in the uh, second phase of the DARPA experiments when, we ta when I talked about the uh, SAR imagery mm -hmm. is we designed and tested a new set of electrodes. So we no longer use wetted sponges for many reasons, but a couple of the Big reasons are that the preparation is unstable over time, mm. right? So there's this thing that lots of people kind of know about, but it's called gravity, and it's <laughs> everywhere. you got to watch out for it, right? And what gravity does is it pulls the water into the lowest part of the sponge, mm. right? And the water drips out of the sponge and down the side of the head. Well, if you're using water, water as a conductor then what you're doing is you're changing the way the electricity is conducted as you move water from one place to another. Mm -hmm. So we developed, in combination with Marone Bixen and his crew at CCNY, we developed a set of EEG-based uh, electrodes. Uh, those electrodes are stable over time. They have less sensation associated with them than wetted sponges, and they can be reused over and over again if uh, treated properly. I remember seeing those uh, in pictures and wondering what they were and how they work. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so it's, it's just EEG electrodes where we use a conductive paste as the medium to conduct the electricity into the scalp. And they are, in their simplest configuration arranged in a pentagonal group uh, centered over F10. And those, uh, there's some pretty important little tidbits to those electrodes. You have to have a deep well 
in order to provide enough buffering to keep the pH from changing in the electrode paste. So you have to have a nice volume of electrode gel underneath each mm. uh, electrode. In addition, you have to make sure there's no air bubbles in the gel because air bubbles make uh, current boundaries that can cause uh, the skin to become red underneath the uh, electrodes. Uh, you have to be super careful with those electrodes to reverse the polarity after each and every use. So if you use the same electrode with the same polarity over and over and over, mm-hmm. uh, oxidative coatings that build up on the electrodes and they fail unpredictably and that's bad news because when you do that the uh, voltage has to rise to compensate for the increased resistance and that can also be problematic with those electrodes if not used carefully so in the pictures we've seen i think uh, i can see this round clump of electrodes and that's all anodal distributed amongst the um, eeg electrodes that's right let's see one pentagon is anodal one pentagon is cathodal we've also used bixens and paras hd tdcs where you have a different combinate where the anodes and cathodes are combined. Uh, we haven't been successful with those in facilitating learning. But uh, with the way I say that and the way I really believe that is that we've taken one swing at that with, and we uh, didn't hit the ball, right? And with the Pentagon electrodes, we've taken 10 swings at that and we hit the ball a couple of times. I see. This other paper where, let's see, transcranial direct current stimulation effect on novice versus experienced learning paper. Yeah. Um, that, that came out of this, was that the same study or was that a, 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 another study? It came out of the same study and it's a slightly different question. So one way that TDCS could be used is to take people who are, don't have any background and train them a little faster, right? So that they get to a, uh, so that you can reduce training time or cost of training or whatever. But in, in the military, that's only a, a small fraction of the problem. So in, mil- in the military, you have to qualify for things repeatedly throughout your career. So we wondered if somebody that had a little bit of training could benefit from TDCS during retraining. Uh, and so that was what that paper demonstrated, that there's a thing called the bathtub effect in training where you're proficient on one side of the bathtub you quit training and you get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and so they start training you again and you come back up to the same level and we can decrease uh, the width of that quote-unquote bathtub Mm -hmm. uh, using TDCS. Have you targeted other kinds of memory or cognition with TDCS? We did two experiments early on that were not neuroimaging guided. So they were guided by looking at a textbook, mm-hmm. right? And both of those experiments produced either very mild or mild effects or failed. So we looked at language facilitation in something called verbal fluency, uh, just by placing the electrode over the left frontal cortex. And we got a mild but non-significant effect. Uh, we also looked at retention 
So train without TDCS and then apply TDCS during the test only, right? And we didn't get any effect with that either. So are you saying that the uh, target detection test is basically the only obvious success you've had so far? It's our biggest success, yeah. So we've, we've had a couple other small successes, right? But the, we've really focused on this uh, target search and identification to this point. Uh, we're actually doing some other tests now, so, but those aren't ready for prime time yet. You're not ready to talk about them? I can tell you generally what's going on. So mm-hmm. That'd be good. Um, we've started to look at alternatives to TDCS. Uh, TDCS is messy, and so we've started to look at a technique called POEMS. POEMS is Pulsed Oscillatory Electromagnetic Fields, right? And the nice thing about those is that you you could put them in a hat band. There's no need for electroconductive gel or anything like that. Uh, And in some of our early experiments, uh, we just put an abstract out to the Human Brain Mapping Conference that will be held in Seattle to show that we can change the way the brain responds to stimulation of the wrist. Uh, We also are doing some work with a company called Intific on looking to see if we can influence the way people play video games using TDCS. Have you looked at TRNS at all? Uh, TRNS, what is TRNS? That's transcranial random noise stimulation. Yes, we've talked uh, quite a bit about TRNS. What it appears to me is that it's definitely influencing the brain, but I think the effect has been relatively unpredictable. Mm. So if you look at a company called Fisher Wallace, they sell a device called uh, TES. I think it's transcranial electrical stimulation is what they call it. Mm -hmm. They've showed some great benefits and some failures for their technology. Uh, I work with them a little bit, but... Mm. The trouble is, is it's not predictable, or it hasn't been obviously predictable to me anyway, uh, when you're going to succeed and when you're going to fail and why. And so I'm, I don't know, I like to kind of be able to ground it, ground the discussion in some, you know, uh, at least predictable technique. I'm very interested to work with those guys some more and figure out what's going on. But uh, to date, we haven't been able to put all that together. How do you feel about the DIY community? What, what uh, concerns or interest uh, have you in that whole area? Well, so uh, in the do-it-yourself community for brain stimulation. For TDCS specifically, that seems to be where most of the action is. TDCS specifically. So in the, in the do-it-yourself community for TDCS, I worry that the safety and the success will ultimately be limited. I worry about that for many reasons, but first, electrodes and the way that you connect them to the skin are extraordinarily important, and I have the scars to prove it. I, will, I won't test anything on a patient or a subject that is in one of my studies until I've done it on myself. And so while we were trying to develop electrodes for TDCS, uh, I burned myself really badly on three or four occasions. Can you describe exactly how that happened? Uh, yeah. So what we did was we started researching different electrodes 
that were used for something called iontophoresis. Okay, because TDCS is basically iontophoresis of the head. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, we started using different electrodes from different manufacturers, and we found a couple of really dramatic effects. One is the pH is changing rapidly. Uh, so you have to, in order to protect the skin, you have to control the pH. Another thing is that it depends on how you wrap the electrodes onto your skin. If you wrap them so tightly that you squeeze out all of the contact media, whether it be water or uh, saline or uh, electrode gel, and make direct contact between the electrode and the skin, it will burn you badly. Another thing that we learned is that sharp edges on electrodes concentrate currents at the point and uh, also make places where you can be badly burned. If you wrap the electrode tightly enough to, uh, this kind of, I don't know, a little politically incorrect, but I can't, I don't know how to say it uh, mm. without that. But I'm, I'm we, sure our, my listeners will understand. Yeah, so we, there was a rather portly fellow that used to uh, work with me, and he was trying electrodes on himself without, supervision and without uh, discussing it really with us at all. He was just trying out some different electrode material. And the way his skin, because his he was portly, the electrode pressed deeply into his skin. And where it pressed deeply into his skin along that border with the electrode and the crease in his skin, he burned himself really badly. So there's lots of little nuances to putting the electrodes on you and what you, the way that you connect them to the skin, the different devices, almost every device has a, a voltage spike at the beginning where when you turn it on because of a, um, because of the way, the way the V equals IR equation works. So you've got to be really careful about that, how you set up your device to deliver the TDCS. So the Neurocon and the the Neurocon and the Soteric devices have fixed this glitch, but uh, lots of the iontophoresis or TENS devices that you can use to produce TDCS on yourself haven't fixed this glitch. And if you're trying to put iontophoresis, mm-hmm. iontophoresis <laughs> drugs into your knee because you had a knee problem, that voltage spike is no big deal. It uh, is a little bit of sharp pain at the beginning and you're done and it's over. But if it's uh, on TDCS, it can uh, blind you uh, temporarily, mm-hmm. right? So you've got to be super careful about that, the way the device is set up. So that's what I worry about in terms of safety. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've burned myself, and we, have, we were trying to be as careful as we could. I wasn't using it over and over and over to try to learn its subject or whatever. I was just trying to figure out what the parameters were for safe application. And you ended up with the with the Amrex uh, sponges, correct? That turned out to be the best bet. Uh, no, what we ended up with was the EEG based uh, electrodes that we developed in combination with uh, Lucas and uh, Marome in at City College in New York. Right at, at the end, you end up. Would you call those HD electrodes? They have patented the name HD TDCS. We use the uh, a similar technology but we don't often apply it as uh, 
HDTVs, yes. Uh-huh. But in your first study, did, did you not use the AMREX sponges? Uh, we used sponges in the first study, and they were effective, but we had, this, I mean, this is documented, we had about a 10% dropout rate because people didn't like the sensation from mm -hmm. the sponges. When we moved over to the EEG electrodes, we had one in over 200 subjects dropout, so it's 0.5%. You also just seem to be saying that as you were testing the electrodes, it was just for the purpose of testing the electrodes, you didn't do any self-experimenting in terms of learning at all? Uh, no, I, have, I don't do that at all. And the reason I don't do that at all is that I don't know at this point what the safe effects for repeated use are. Now, there are right now some clinical trials at NIH who are going to try to stimulate daily for 30 days, especially in people with uh, mental illness, to see if they can affect change. And that just makes me nervous as anything because I, I've put the TDCS thing on my head and turned it on a whole bunch of times for demonstrations and a whole bunch of times to show people how it works. But I don't use it on myself to aid in learning or performance in my job mm -hmm. because I haven't worked it out yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same place. It's a fascinating idea that you could enhance your learning, but, you know, I've, well, what started out as just a profound curiosity is just, I mean, I'm still reading a lot of papers and it seems I'm getting more confused rather than less, you know. I, I think the same thing. So in terms of the do-it-yourself community, I want to make one more comment. And that is that I think you will ultimately get limited um, effect, right? And the reason I believe that is that if you look across the TDCS literature, when people are placing this on people's heads randomly in random locations or guided by a textbook, they're getting about the same 10 to 20% effect. Mm -hmm. When we use the neuroimaging guidance aided by finite element modeling, we got a 200% effect. So I worry that when people use TDCS, they're going to expect this dramatic effect. But if they don't have the hard science behind them to do the neuroimaging guidance and the FEM modeling, what they're going to do is maybe push things 10%, 20%, but they're not going to get the dramatic effects that they might expect from the work that we've done. Maybe you'd consent to playing in uh, this, this thought experiment. Okay. Uh, feel free to say no. Uh, but <laughs> supposing I, I took your research and uh, specifically used F10 anodal and... Uh, uh, opposite shoulder cathodal and two milliamps for 30 minutes. So th there's a proven protocol. As a DIYer, how could I determine that I was having an effect? Uh, there's definitely a cognitive effect. I mean, you can, when you put, when you use that paradigm to, stimu to stimulate your brain with TDCS, there is a definite cognitive effect. And there are lots of people, including Sally Addy, who have described it as kind of being in the zone, right? Another way that I've been, that it's been descri described to me is by a couple of people who teach classes. 
And both of them told me it's the same feeling as when they know they're giving a really good lecture, right? Mm. So I think there will be some nonspecific effects of TDCS that may carry over to other tasks if it's placed on F10. But if you, for let's say you wanted to do something like learn language, I don't think placement at F10 would help you at all. I think that placement at F10 might give you an extra 10 or 20% due to this kind of general effect mm. that it has on cognition, but it wouldn't uh, work in the same way that you'd like it to work for, say, learning a piano. I think that's going to be a different placement. Or if you uh, want to learn language, I think that's going to be a different placement. And I think the best way to find that to get the biggest bang for your buck out of TDCS is to do the neuroimaging, do the modeling so that you can find the correct, the location on the scalp that will maximally stimulate the network in the brain that you're interested in and then uh, stimulate during training. And I think that will, that'll be a winner, but I think lots of other paradigms might well, be mediocre and who cares about mediocre? Yeah. So what, for the average individual might an F10 placement enhance? You know, I'm not out there looking for rabbits or for dinner. Uh, can you think of a practical application of, of that kind of enhancement for the average person? So think about playing Where's Waldo. Right? So like a game application. I think if you're playing Where's Waldo, F10 would be a fantastic location to do this. And other tasks in the workplace that are like Where's Waldo might also uh, be widely facilitated with the F10 placement. But from I don't know exactly what those jobs are, right? Mm. So visual search and recognition, uh, I'm not sure exactly what those yeah. jobs are in the workplace. Mm. <laughs> um, for, I'm not familiar with Where's Waldo. Is that an on, Is that a game? So, yeah, it's a kid's book. So kid's book where you have this guy in a red and white striped shirt and a hat. He's on a page in a kid's book to, with a whole bunch of other people, and you have to find him in the crowd. Uh. You might think that it would work to aid with people who are doing video surveillance or something like that. Um, uh, I'm going to ask the listeners if anyone can think of an online kind of game or brain challenge that uh, would seem to be... Uh, challenging that area directly to let us know. One of the main other reasons I haven't done any experiments is I can't figure out how to measure results. Like what, what if I was getting a 20% increase in some ability? I need something to measure it against. I was doing uh, Cambridge Brain Science Challenges, which is online. And uh, I had about three months worth of data in there uh, that I was about to start comparing to, but they changed the website and lost half my data. So um, yeah, but something like that, something uh, kind of an online brain challenge where uh, after having, you know, developed um, a history, you could apply TDCS and then, you know, very obviously see if there was any difference. Yeah, you're the trouble is uh, when you think about the way science is done is that the way that we look at things is we collect information from a group of people. And then we subject, subject that to rigorous statistics. And if there's a statistically reliable result, then we publish a paper on it. But think about what that's like for 
an individual. So the individual doesn't have a bunch of other individuals to compare themselves to in the first person. And they generally don't do uh, many versions of the same task that they could use to compare, right? So if you learn piano, you now know piano. And so you don't have to relearn that if you go learn harpsichord or electronic keyboard or something like that. So uh, I've been asked this, believe me, by many uh, people who would like to commercialize this technology is, can you demonstrate it on me that I'm learning something faster? And I'm like, well, I can let you try it. We can demonstrate the technology. But what is the metric that you would like? Do you know how long it would take you to learn piano and what the difference is if you, you know, do TDCS? No, you don't. So how do we measure whether you would, you know, do this well or not? Or if it would work on you or not? I don't know. As you're talking to those people who are looking to commercialize it, that that might be some low-hanging fruit for, for people out here who are experimenting with whatever, you know, uh, even just diet or coffee or neurotropics. There's definitely uh, a need for some kind of online service that would allow you to uh, test your results. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, you, you might want to try learning different pieces of music. I mean, you could probably, you could try that, but then you'd have to have something that's equated for difficulty and all that, which is, um, I don't know. We'd have to try Another area to explore that for me is fascinating, but hasn't seen it come up in the, any of the literature, would be, for instance, facilitating recall of distant memory. Mm, yeah. So we haven't tried that. However, well, I believe that the neuroimaging guidance approach is solid there. That if what we did was we looked at people who were really good at that and people who weren't so good at that and looked at the differences in their brain networks, we could then target an appropriate montage of electrodes to uh, stimulate the appropriate piece of brain to enhance recall of. I'm seeing it now. So you have uh, a subject who's in the fMRI and a sibling has been asked to show up with a bunch of old pictures that they might not have seen for a long time. You know, uh, and then right in the machine, they're, they're looking at these shots of them as little kids and stuff. That would definitely seem to be a good way to target that area. Yeah, we could determine, use that to determine the right place to stimulate. No doubt about it. Well, that's really exciting. On the, um, there's that course uh, that I found on iTunes U that you guys put together, the, the University of New Mexico. I can't find the title to it right now, but... Um, yeah. Neural engineering or something. Yeah, anecdotally, they, they turned to one girl who had actually uh, had a, a session, and she talks, you know, completely off the cuff, had nothing to do with the topic at hand, but she said, I walked away from that session uh, with melodies in my head, and uh, I, I never did that before. Do you remember that? I have to watch that thing again to re refresh my memory because I know that there's something out there on iTunes U that has me on it. My, my brother told me about it. I didn't know it was going up on there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. You're in two of them. Oh, am I? Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> so anyway. The, have uh, you got, did you cut your hair since then? 
Oh, yeah, I cut all my hair out. Oh, well, I won't ask, but I, as someone formerly with very long hair for a lot of years, I, I know what a big decision that can be. Yeah, I, it was totally spur of the moment. I don't know why I did it. I just did it. <laughs> my daughter canceled her appointment, and I told the guy, well, then you have time to cut mine. And I sat down and he cut it off. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I got sick of mine after a while, especially when it's t tied back all the time. You know? Yeah. So there are lots of anecdotes that people talk about with TDCS. Some of my favorites that have come through uh, the lab are there was a guy who said he was trying to figure out a problem, a puzzle of some sort. I can't remember exactly what puzzle it was, but he was thinking about it in the back of his mind while he was, uh, while TDCS was going. And uh, he, when he did that, he said when he came out of the TDCS, he knew exactly how to solve that problem. And he went home and solved it immediately. And he even wrote me a little email that said, thank you so much, blah, 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 blah. Wow. We have done a little bit of work uh, with patients who are healthy, aged, to look to see if TDCS might help with age-related memory decline. And two of the eight people that we ran came out of TDCS and their memory scores were giant compared to uh, the pre-TDCS scores. And so, you know, we, we were asking them what they were doing and they said, you know, I could find words now or I can find words now that I couldn't find before. And so we rec had recorded uh, the words that they were saying during the TDCS session. And it turned out that they were far more verbally fluent during the TDCS than not. And so uh, that result is currently being uh, written up. But it really illustrates kind of in, in a dramatic way. We tried verbal fluency. Mm -hmm and failed to get a statistically reliable result when we looked in the textbook and picked where we should put the electrode. But when we you, collaborated with some people from uh, Georgia Tech on who knew what pieces of the brain circuitry were failing, we modeled those and then applied TDCS to get to that circuitry we significantly facilitated their uh, verbal performance and their memory recall based on verbal stimulus. So that wasn't F10? That was not F10. What no. was it? Uh, that was, uh, let me see. I have to go back and look here. We're happy to wait. <laughs> yeah, I've got to pull up. Hang on, I've got to pull up my iPad and look at the notes there. Hang on one second. We called it, it's terrible, but we called the experiment Geezer Tech. <laughs> I'm, have, I'm okay with that <laughs> as approaching geezerhood myself. Uh, we put the electrode over uh, left inferior frontal gyrus, which is approximately, yeah, so left inferior frontal gyrus is approximately uh, F5. Uh-huh. And the cathode? On the contralateral upper arm, so it was on the right upper arm. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Any other anecdotes you'd like to share with us? 
uh, cathodal stimulation of that same area, uh, F10 that we were talking about earlier, people do not like it. <laughs> so the stimulation with the anode, people, we had a, what, about a 1% or 0.5% dropout rate once we went to EEG electrodes. With the cathode in the same location, with the same sensation ratings at the skin, at the level of the skin, we had two of 14 people drop out. And I can't do that math directly in my head, but it's way more than 0.5%. They didn't drop out because of the sensation at the skin. They dropped out because they didn't like the cognitive effect. Wow. Interesting. Um, that reminds me uh, another paper I saw that you were somehow associated with. Uh, there was a lot of people on it, and it wasn't like a typically published paper. Talked about accelerating non-declarative or skill learning. Yeah. And was a combination concept of uh, anodal and cathodal, where cathodal over DLPFC, I think, left combined with anodal over I think it was M1 yeah M motor cotrex yeah. M1 had a beneficial effect uh, the cathodal the dimming down of frontal cortex helped accelerate the positive effect of uh, motor cortex uh, stimulation does that ring a bell yes and I can give I'll give you a kind of a hopefully understandable synopsis of that. So, at least in theory. So the idea is that when you successfully complete a task, what you've done, through a process of trial and error, you've learned to recruit the correct brain network to deal with the stimuli at hand. All right? Mm -hmm. So, if you can inhibit using cathodal TDCS networks that might also be in the competition to handle that information, you should be able to, in principle, funnel the information into the correct uh, network for completion of the task, for successful completion of the task. And given that your brain is a competitive winner-take-all system, right, this is a viable path for accelerating learning using a cathode. The optimum solution may be developing a TDCS montage that inhibits parts of the brain that shouldn't be involved in the task and enhancing other parts of the brain that should be involved in the task, right? So uh, we've looked uh, specifically, we've written grants to specifically do that and we are waiting to see if they will be funded. Wow, that's really exciting. Yeah, it could be a lot of fun, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't imagine those fMRI machines sit idle very long and that there's a lot of people competing for their uh, for time in them. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's true. But um, uh, it seems like this is kind of some low-hanging fruit for, for you and your TDCS experiments is just to uh, determine what parts of the brain are being used for, for different um, aspects of cognition. Yeah, well, there's, there's hundreds of people who are trying to do that, right? What we're really trying to do is take benefit from their experience 
and learn how to apply TDCS to do that. It's it's when you have a, a previously unsolved problem uh, that you have to do that again, right? So, I mean, say some computer exam, some chief executive for a company came to me and he said, you know what, I'm having real trouble training people to do task X, whatever it is. And I was wondering if your TDCS can help. Uh, and I would say, I believe it can if properly applied. And so if task X is not something that is in textbooks uh, and is not something that is uh, well understood neurologically, then we would do the neuroimaging to compare novices and experts, use the difference between those two to uh, develop a montage using FEM modeling to target the appropriate pieces of brain. Yeah, wow. That kind of sets a scenario for spinning off as a for-profit company. Have you, is there any thoughts along those lines? I've talked to several companies about it, or several groups of investors about that. But I can tell you that the economic climate is uncertain enough right now that anything like that is going to be real slow in developing. If you look into the, I mean, the, what they see is that neuromodulation, which is the umbrella under which TCS uh, fits in the kind of medical community, is growing faster than any other segment of medicine right now. So, I mean, there's several reports out on this, but uh, through the next several years, commercialized neuromodulation is projected to make billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so there are people that are interested in potentially being part of that. And I, ta I, I have talked with several groups, but it's an ongoing negotiation about how much money do you need to start up, what, the, what, you know, what do you need to do this, blah, 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 and what kind of model... Uh, marketing model would you have? Would it be you know something that you can go buy over the counter? Would it be something that a doctor would use? What's the so there's a million different little things to be figured out, and I'm kind of sensitive to this. I would love to see something like that happen and maybe even be part of it. But since this stuff aired on the through the wormhole episode, mm -hmm. I've gotten more than a thousand emails from people around the globe who want to know about TDCS, and probably half of them write me about sick kids. And it's just desperate parents mm. help their sick kids, you know? And I mean, I, it's, uh, to be quite honest, it brings a tear to my eye every time. And I sit and I fret over and over and over about how to write back to these parents and not just dash their hopes, you know? And so... What we did was we came up with that uh, letter that I sent you mm -hmm. uh, that has some information in it. And then I personally comment on each and every email that's come back to me. And I mean, most of those cases are people that are either volunteering to be in experiments and want to know how it works, or they're people that are desperate to, I mean, with some disorder for their children, then I would love to find a way to help. Yeah. I would imagine you're following the Roy Kaddish, the guy at Oxford who's doing research of TDCS in kids right now. Cohen Kaddish. Co Cohen, yeah, Cohen Kaddish. Yeah. yeah. I guess he's getting close to something. Hopefully we'll hear some news soon. Yeah. 
I would love to see that happen. Yeah. Uh, it brings up the whole ethical issue. I don't know if you're following that, where if if your kid could benefit from using TDCS uh, comes to, you know, your your exam time, uh, will that be an ethical application? And people pointing out that kids are doing Adderall anyway for that purpose, and it's going to be hard to stop if, if it turns out to be an efficacious way to improve your test scores and just opens up a whole other can of worms, really. Yeah. So let's talk two points in terms of ethics on TDCS. So first point, we make ethical choices like this every day, right? When you take uh, a drug, when you uh, are at dinner and you have a beer or whatever, you're taking into your body some substance in many cases that changes your cognition. And when you take a drug into your body and that changes your cognition, there's as much in your elbow as there is in your brain, right? Mm -hmm. So what TDCS offers in one sense is a focal application of a, an exogenous agent that's not going to tax your liver. Right, mm-hmm. it's not going to have some of the same systemic side effects that a drug might have, and so, I mean, I think this is an important point for people to make that TDCS has the ability to be a focal, uh, non-systemic intervention that might just help. All right, in terms of ethics, on the other side, there is nothing that I'm aware of that you can use in excess without consequences, right? Nothing, Mm, whether it comes to, I mean, Advil or whether it comes to uh, electrical brain stimulation, uh, I'm sure there are limits to the safety where somebody will get a brain lesion or somebody will get a big skin lesion or somebody will cause a seizure or something like that. Now, we've been pretty cautious as a group of investigators so far in making sure that we don't go too quickly and uh, cause those uh, vicious side effects, right? Mm -hmm. However, I worry that once this goes DIY widely or once there's somebody who can turn a buck on it, that uh, we may reach that threshold uh, more quickly than we ever hoped. Right. That kind of uh, begs the question. Um, in one paper that you're associated with, I saw where a two milliamp dosage versus uh, was was more effective than a uh, 0.6 milliamp voltage. And That's- it kind of begs the question, well, why not a three milliamp? Is, is anybody um, doing that? Yes. So there's a play, paper by, I think it's by Lisa Marshall, mm-hmm. who gave a higher dose uh, during sleep. And I can't, I'm, I'm fuzzy on the details because I haven't read that paper for a couple of years, but I believe there's a paper out there where they used a DC current at 10 milliamps. And that's a lot. Seems to be a lot to me. I mean, I know what the cognitive effect of 2 milliamps feels like and 10 milliamps... No, no, you'd either be Superman or you'd be, your brain would be frazzled. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, I don't want to keep you much longer. 
Have any of your experiments actually applied the TDCS before the training? Uh, no. So the only TDCS we have done to date is during uh, training and performance. We have not done any of the offline TDCS that you discussed earlier. Yeah. Uh, are you going to be uh, at any conferences coming up? Or I know there's that one in Germany coming up mid-March that a, a lot of people will be... I, right now I have 181,000 frequent flyer miles from traveling around talking about this. So I'm trying desperately to spend a little more time with my family over the next year. So I'm not going to Germany. And I'm, I'll be going probably this year to two main conferences. And those two will be Human Brain Mapping in Seattle and uh, Society for Neuroscience in San Diego. So you did mention that you have experiments ongoing. Can you suggest a time in the future when I might call back and get an update? Uh, we'll be done with the next set of experiments at the end of May. Uh-huh. Would that be an appropriate time, or, or would you think uh, you, you'll need time to get published first? No, sure, Jimmy. Call back. Oh, care. that'd be great. This has been a great interview. I can't thank you enough. We really got a really deep dive and answered a lot of questions I've, I've, I've been trying to find answers to. I really appreciate your time. Oh, you're welcome. I'm looking for. Please send me an email when you get it all collated and ready to go. Yeah, it usually takes about a week to sort it all out. But I definitely I'll send you an email uh, when I publish it. Sounds great. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, bye, Mike. Bye now. Thanks for listening. For more information about Dr. Weissend, visit mrn.org or check links and show notes at DIYTDCS.com. Thanks.